Thanks for being here this morning. We're going to start a new series on the book of Hosea. I'm saying that now, so you, I'm going to say a few things before that, but if you want to find it, uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's on page 751 of your Pew Bible, if you want to look it up on your phone, but it's right after the book of Daniel, um, the, the book of Hosea. But before we start that, I just wanted to say uh, a couple things this morning. First of all, the Galatians says this. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And I just want to thank the church and thank Julie Vocal in particular and all the people that she rallied together over this past week. Uh, we had the clothing pantry out here yesterday and um, it went exceptionally well. Many people were served, uh, which was exciting awesome to see, but what was personally exciting was just seeing the people in the church who served in it and came out all many hours out this past week and spent a lot of time this past week um, helping with that. And uh, that's what we are called to do to to serve, and we prayed. They they prayed before they started. It was just a great, uh, just a great ministry. So keep it up, uh, Cornerstone. And thanks um, for all of that. And uh, on a side note, we didn't do a. Um, fellowship greeting this morning, uh, just because we have a number of people who are struggling with sickness. So I thought we would, uh, it, it's nice to get in that groove, but I thought today we would maybe just keep our germs to ourselves for a little bit. So um, we kind of miss it. But thanks also for the last few weeks, uh, I would say just the spirit of people, the energy on Sunday mornings, your willingness to uh, be with each other is very um, encouraging. So this morning, we are starting a series on the book of Hosea for the next um, eight weeks. We're going to look at this Old Testament uh, book. I'm going to read the first chapter of Hosea, chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So we went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel, to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God, and I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. 
Lord, thanks for hard words. Lord, thanks for the Old Testament and the truths that we can get from it. And Lord, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, teach us and guide us as we go through this series, that we would see the truth of judgment and hope in your love. And Lord, I pray that you would um, just give us your wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who are dealing with sickness this morning and just struggling. I pray you just give them great strength and comfort. Lord, be with those who are just in grief. I pray that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding. Give them an encouragement. Lord, just give them your comfort. You are near to the brokenhearted. And I pray that that would just be unbelievably true to them. Lord, I pray you just teach us this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit would remove every distraction and we'd hear from you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Scandalous stories. Our culture loves scandalous stories. I mean, we, we eat it up. Right now, if you have seen any news, and then some of you may be totally into it, some of you have no idea what's going on, but it's taking the culture by storm. In certain segments, there's the court case of Johnny Depp and his ex-wife, Amber Heard, and it is a salacious story account of their life, and people are lining up at the courthouse just to be there. Um, they're bringing support animals. They had two a pack, a, a pack of support animals there this week. They're wanting to see and be a part and hear the so horrid details of a famous couple's life and see behind the scenes, and people are getting into to it, and it's just, uh, it's terrible, horrific details of the backstory of their life is being exposed to the world, and people are living through them. Johnny Depp is the, uh, he's the pirate of the Caribbean, and one guy said this, he goes, we, we're here to, to support our captain. If he goes down with the ship, we're going down with him. We love a scandal in America. They love sordid stories. And Hosea, in the Old Testament, the first part of it is a scandalous, sordid story. Many scandalous stories. Even though they're written today, if you watch TV shows, even comedies, they would, they'll give a story, they'll give the tragedy of it, and they'll try at the end to, to pull out some some practical points of it. What's the point of it? Why is it being told? Hosea is a story told by God. It's a story of pain, but it's an important story. It's a book of judgment, and it's a book of hope. So why, first of all, are we going to spend eight weeks going through this Old Testament book from afar? Here's Five reasons. Five reasons why we are going to look at the book of Hosea. First of all, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is profitable. It's, all, it's, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So all of the Scriptures are profitable for us. So another reason why we're going to look at this for the next few weeks is it, the Romans 15.4 says, Scripture was written for our endurance... And what was written in former days, it was written for our endurance and for our hope. That's why the Old Testament is there for us. So it's profitable, it's written for our instruction, it's written for our endurance, it's written for our hope. A third reason is Hosea is a living picture of the grace of God. It's an amazing picture of the grace 
of God, and it demonstrates really the grit of the gospel. I mean, it's dealing with real-life situations, real gritty, grimy stuff that we don't always like to talk about, and it's picturing from God the living picture of the grace of God. And fourthly, it is a reminder. The book of Hosea is a reminder to us of our own fallenness and our need to be faithful to God in Christ. And the fifth reason I want us to go through the book of Hosea is that we need to learn to deal with God as he reveals himself, not how we want to imagine God to be. Because the things that God says in Hosea, many of you would not let your children watch on TV. This is God speaking. This is how God's choosing to reveal himself. So we have to deal with God the way God deals with himself and how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And the the place of Hosea, this book is part of called the 12 or the the minor prophets, which doesn't mean they are less important. The minor prophets in the Old Testament just mean that they are shorter. They are shorter than Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. And so they're called the minor prophets. It's a group of the 12. Hosea starts uh, the first list of them. This was written probably 700 years before Jesus came, before the nation of Israel went into captivity. It's quoted and referenced many times in the New Testament. You probably didn't even realize it, but it was used in Scripture from the New Testament. What Hosea does, Hosea demonstrates to us today anyway, that God gets the grit and the grime of your life, and he still offers glorious grace to us. Hosea is a book about judgment and about hope, and it's real judgment that's really coming, and it's real hope that has really been offered. And so we're going to look at the story of how God told one of his prophets to go marry a woman who would become a prostitute. This was God's, as a picture, a living parable of what the nation of Israel and the people of God had done, but first it's, we want to see this morning, this, this guy, Hosea, and the call of God's people. The, the, the man, Hosea, it says in verse one, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Well, why did the word of the Lord have to come to Hosea to give this type of a account? It's because the, the word of the Lord came to the people many years ago, to Adam and Eve, and God said, do this, follow this, and you'll be blessed. And they said, we don't want to do that. We want to do it our way. And from that, people began to walk away from God, do their own thing. The flood came. People came, continued to go against God. God called out of the earth a man named Abraham. And from Abraham, he said, I'm going to create in you a, a, a people that will be my people. Not because of anything that you did, but because of all about me, I'll make a covenant with you. And if you, as the people of God in the Old Testament, if you, if you follow the law, if you do what God says, follow me and obey, and there will be blessing. If you don't follow me and you don't obey, there will be judgment. And God walked with his people all along, and the, and the people of God, they, they moved out of Egypt, they, they wandered in the wilderness, the nation of Israel came, they got, they got a king in David, and then that kingdom of people, kings rose up that followed God, kings rose up, kings were raised that did not follow God, and then the kingdom divided. 
There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was Judah, who for the most part followed after God, but the northern kingdom of the 12 tribes, 10 of them, they, they called Israel, they did not follow God. And Hosea came to the people of God, to the, nor- to the northern tribe, mainly Israel, near Samaria, and it says, the word of the Lord came to him, and God was calling his people to be faithful to him. And, Uzziah, and Hosea, he served under Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, so for about 40 to 50 years, he was a prophet amongst the people of, of God, telling them what God wanted them to know. He was called out by God to be this prophet, and he had this long time of prophesying and telling people, hey, get right with God. This is what's going to happen if you don't get right with God. And, and none of those Names really mean much to us now after thousands of years, but if we were reading these as the first time hearers, we would see Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and, and we, would, we would not only know the names of their kings, but we would get a picture of what was going on in the world. If I say 2001 or September 11th, many of us would get a picture of what was taking place in the world economically, socially, culturally, and we would think and feel this way. This is how this was written when they first heard this. So God called these people, and he called a man named Hosea. And it says in verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of a wife of whoredom. We don't know much about Hosea. Pretty much all we know about Hosea the prophet is right there. That's all the history. We know who his, what his name means. His name means salvation, which was also the name of Joshua and also the name of Jesus. So his name means for us, it's a clue to us that God was using him to give help to people that there was salvation. We know that his dad's name was Yahweh is my wellspring, which means he probably was raised in a, in a family that's followed after God. As his dad taught Hosea the truths about God, and Hosea probably called very young because he wasn't married yet. God called this guy Hosea and said, Hosea, follow after me. And Hosea did. He seems he followed after God. What the character of Hosea seems to be was that he was a man called very young probably by God, who was very concerned for the people of God, who who is a man of great compassion. To be a prophet of God means you were going to stand out. People weren't going to like what you had to say. It, It was a hard call to be a prophet of God, but Hosea didn't reject it. Other prophets did. Remember Jonah, he ran from the call of God. Hosea seems to be This young man called by God who wanted to live for God, had a compassion and a heart for God, had a compassion and a heart for people. He was culturally concerned for the the world and the situation. He, He cared because he knew that if people followed after God, if they followed the Old Testament, if they followed the law, God would bless them. And if God blessed the people of God, anybody around them would be blessed. This was the promise that Abraham had. So Hosea was deeply concerned, deeply compassionate, very culturally concerned, and he followed after God, and he seemed to be very competent. If you read Hosea, it is a book of the parable, the story for the first few chapters, and after that, it's just poetry and figures of speech. He knew how to write. He knew how to speak, and he could pull things together to try to get his point across that God wanted people to know. But Hosea was committed, first of all, 
to God, period. That was the direction of Hosea's life. He was committed first to God. Let me just say, if you're young, if you're middle-aged, or if you're older, and you feel called to follow hard after God, don't be afraid to feed your faith even when no one else seems to understand or no one else seems to care and you have to walk a different path and everybody else is heading a different way and when you're young, they're trying to think about what their future is going to be. When you're they're middle-aged, they're just trying to figure out how to survive. When you're old, you're trying to think what you're gonna, how you're going to spend the last few years of your life. That, that's the culture. But if in you, and God calls you and says, no, be serious for me. Be, be serious for me. Follow hard after me. And the culture and everyone around you, even other Christians, may be like, what are you doing? Just follow hard after God. Just keep going hard after God. Just say, I'm going to put God first, period. This was Hosea's life. This was the direction of how his life was called. God called him. And then God called him to a life It was going to be filled with great grit and grime. This was a young guy who seemed to just want to serve and love God. And he did. And then God gives him an extremely difficult call and a difficult task. Haddon Robinson said this about Hosea. It's the story of a broken vow, a broken home, a broken heart, and a broken life. And this, for someone who said, I'll say yes to God every time God says to do something. What Hosea got was a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in the process. But what God seeks still, Hosea would say, is just trust and obey. God's looking for people who will just trust and obey. And not say, God, I will serve you if you give me this. But people who just say, God, I'll just serve you no matter what you give me. No matter if it hurts, no matter if I suffer, I'm going to just trust and obey no matter what. That's the call of God for us and for Hosea. Someone said we cannot limit the unsearchable mysteries of God's wise plans to what makes sense to the common man. When was Hosea was growing up, hearing about all the truth of God, hearing it from his parents, wanting and choosing day after day to make these choices of following after God, just saying, yes, I'll say yes, I'll say yes, and doing it. I'm sure never in his wildest imaginations that he would have been told by God, go find a wife who's going to be very unfaithful to you and stay with her. But God did. God calls people to hard Things, and God just says, just follow me. Just trust me and obey. That's the call. Hosea is a picture of relentlessly pursuing obedience to God. Is that the direction you're setting for your life? Has that been the course you're saying, no matter what, I'm just going to relentlessly pursue obedience to God, but other people might understand it. Other people might talk, and they'll think I'm throwing my life away, or I'm, I'm, I'm wasting something, or I should do something different, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna 
relentlessly pursue obedience to God. That, that's what Hosea did. That's the call of Hosea. That's the call of what God's looking. That's the call that God wants from us. He, he's, he's looking and wanting to know, will you relentlessly pursue obedience to God at whatever it costs you? That's God's call to people. And then God had a way of letting people really know what he wants. And so God's means of confrontation and calling the nation of Israel was to tell Hosea, go out and find yourself a wife who will be unfaithful. There was a lot of debate was of was Gomer, was she a prostitute before he married her or was she unfaithful afterwards? I believe that she was unfaithful afterwards. She may have had clearly a heart of lust and a heart of going in a wild direction, but on the outward, she may have looked just perfectly fine and and good, and Hosea married her. And afterwards, I believe, as we'll see in a little bit why I believe some of that to be true, she became very unfaithful to him. But God told him, go find yourself a wife like that, and he did it. And the reason that God did it was he was trying to paint a picture for the people of Israel, his people, for the nation of Israel. He was living it through their life a living parable, an enacted prophecy. He was showing through the life of Hosea and Gomer what he wanted his people to know. It was God's way of confronting them and God's way of calling them. These are Real people. It's not a fictitious story. This is a real man and a real woman and real children and real situation. It's a real account of what God called one of his followers to do and one of his followers to endure. But he did it to confront his people. The situation was the nation of Israel, they were, had been split the southern kingdoms and the northern kingdoms, and they had gone through all kinds of trials. And then Hosea comes, and when Hosea came on the scene, things were actually very, very good. Finally, there, there, was, there was peace in the land, there was prosperity, but there's also lots of promiscuity, and the nation of Israel, they thought, well, Hosea comes and tells them what he's going to tell them, and their response was, are you kidding me? This is the best it's been for a while. Why, why, why should we be following what God said? We now have peace. I mean, we now have prosperity, very similar to our culture now, the, the way we live in our culture. Follow God. Why? There's, there's peace. There's prosperity. But there's also great promiscuity, and the nation of Israel back in that time, they were saying the reason they have all this peace, the reason they have all this prosperity is because they, they, it was the Baal God. He, he was the one that gave peace. He was the one that gave prosperity. He was the one. So there was all of this wickedness. And it says in verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said this to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children with whoredom for the land commits great whoredom for forsaking the Lord. The people of God had plenty of money in their pocketbooks. They had nice houses. They had friendly neighbors. They had retirement plans. They had nice cars. They had medical coverage. Things were good. But God said, they've forsaken the Lord. 
And he was calling to them, and he says to them, go get yourself a wife. And the Lord said to him, and so he did. He finds his wife, and he marries Gomer. And then verse 4 says, and the Lord said to him, call, they have a, they, they bore, and she conceived and bore him a son. So she bore Hosea a son, and the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. This is a judgment. This is a warning that God is giving them. He says, I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen your, what's been going on. I've, I've been telling you what to do. I've seen what's going on, and here's what's going to be coming. So name your son Jezreel, which means nothing to us, really, because it's so far away from us. But the name Jezreel meant very much something to the people of God. If you remember the Old Testament with Naboth and the vineyard and all the stuff that took, took place in the valley of Jezreel, it would be like us saying it was a place, well-known place of battle. It would be us like talking about Gettysburg or recently Mariupol or Kharkiv in, U- in Ukraine, places that have just been decimated by war. That's who God says, name your son Jezreel. It's a well-known place of battle because judgment is coming on the people of God. It's, it's a warning for the people. And the people would have seen that. And so Jezreel is born. It's God saying, I'm very aware of what's been going on around here. I'm very aware of it. And then he says in verse 6, then she conceived again and bore a daughter. But it doesn't say that she bore a daughter to him. It just says that she just bore a daughter. So this is why I believe that she married Hosea, she bore Jezreel to him, and then she went and started prostituting herself, and she became pregnant, and she bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, because I'll no longer have mercy in the house of Israel, which is God saying, can you imagine? That's the daughter's name. And God is saying, I'm aware what's been going on, and I will act and then he has a third son, and she said, and when she weaned him, it was by two or three years, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Another one, doesn't say it was to Hosea. She just conceived and bore a son. Call his name, not my people. It's God saying, this is, there's judgment coming on the nation of Israel, the people of God. He's, he's aware of it. He's going to act, and he's alerted them now. You're not my people. This would have been very alarming or should have been very alarming to the people of God. What it is is this picture of here's a, the man of God marrying a woman who becomes a prostitute. How devastating could you imagine that to be for Hosea? People talking about him, the situation's horrific. It's one thing that she's having an affair, but she's going out and prostituting herself for him. It's a story of pain. Why is adultery so devastating? Even in our culture today, after all these years of freedom and not supposed to be a big deal, it's a big deal. I looked up on a website, not a Christian website, just a psychology website. Why is infidelity so painful? Tons of articles. And they said this why does it hurt? They had three answers to this. One is that we are hardwired for connection. 
We were made to connect as human beings. Where did that come from? God gave that to us. He hardwired people to be connected to each other. And that's why when that's broken, it's devastating to people. It's another reason they said it's not the agreement that was made. When two people stand up and get married, they're saying to each other, I'm going to commit to you and you're going to commit to me and we're going to be in this together. And when adultery comes in, there's this broken trust that takes place. It's, not, it's, not, it's, it's devastating and it's a sense of betrayal. The person, when they found out, they say, I, I thought I knew you and I thought you knew me. And it feels like an attack. Even so much on the attack of, it's like, a, it's like physical pain for people. It's like an attack on their body. There's symptoms, there's nightmares, there's anxiety, there's brain fog, there's depression. And what God is trying to say is, this is what has happened with the people of God. I, I told them how to live. I gave them everything that they needed. I made a covenant with them. I, I promised myself to them. And now they have committed adultery to me. And we are supposed to feel what God feels when we read the book of Hosea. It is a betrayal. It's, it's a not it's broken trust and God is saying this is what has happened as painful as adultery is in relationships spiritual adultery is painful spiritual adultery is going after another false god or going after anything above god living for the things of the world more than for the things of god living for your material possessions more than the things of God. This is what the Bible says in James and the New Testament talks about this. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You spend your t on your possessions, you adulterous people. What we're supposed to see is, from the book of Hosea is not just an old story for old people long ago. But what we're supposed to see is our own selves in this. That we, left to ourselves, are spiritual adulterers. We're Gomer. We're the ones that said, I love God, oh, stuff. We're the ones that says, oh, I'll give my time for God. Oh, I need my time for myself. We're the ones that says, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. N not that, God. We are to see ourselves through the story as we are the Gomers. We are the ones left to ourselves who are committing spiritual adultery. And God says there's judgment for that. There's a call for that. There's, he's aware of it. He will act. He'll be alerted. And if that was the end of the story, if we're honest with ourselves, no matter how good we are, no matter how much activity you can be a part of, even in your church, you could outwardly be looking righteous, but inwardly be filled with spiritual adulterous hearts. And left to ourselves, it's an unbelievably sad story. Then there's verse 10. And it says, yet, 
The number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. God calls people. God has a means of confronting and calling people back to himself. But God has unbelievable compassion for people. All of that to say to them, yet. There's been a promise made. God's not going to give up on his side of the covenant with his people. He says, he told Abraham that the people of God are going to be like the sand of the sea measured. Those who are, who are said not to be my people, they're going to be called the children of the living God. And they're going to find one head. And they're going to appoint for themselves one head. Who is Jesus? That's who we're holding on to. We left to ourselves are all spiritual adulterers. Our only hope is that there was one who came and lived the life we were supposed to live, and he went to the cross, died for our sins, and our only hope is Jesus. And because of that, so 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, that yet is unbelievably helpful for us as Christians. It's unbelievably amazing. That God knows what's going on with us. He knows our hearts, and he says, yet I will have compassion on you. I made a promise, and I'm not going to break it. And then there's a promise available. I mean, everybody talks about mentors these days. Find yourself a mentor. Everybody needs a mentor. Mentors are good. But God, ultimately, if we're honest, if if we see it, God's the greatest mentor of grace that there is. You watch the world, and if you mess up in the world, you mess up at your job, you mess up, nobody wants to give you a second chance, and if they give you a second chance, they're they're ready to watch you fall down again. They, They love it. It's entertaining. We love the scandal. God's not that way. God is an unbelievable mentor of grace. He he lets the sun shine. He brings the rain and the righteous and the unrighteous. He highlights hope for us. He happily hounds after people. Imagine if God would have just left you alone the first time you walked away from him. When you said no to God for something he asked you to do, and then God said, I'm done with you then. That's not what God has ever done with you. He's chased after you, he's pursued after you, and he happily hounds after you. He is the unbelievable mentor of grace for us. He hates evil, he hates injustice, he's holding back his wrath, but one day he will bring justice. But what he offers us in Jesus is unbelievable hope, and he does everything to offer hope and help. This is the God of compassion. This is the great hope that we have, that we need to look to and never get overwhelmed by. He does everything to help you and to offer you help and hope. It's an old pastor in the early part of this last century named Clovis Chapel, and he told the true story of a young guy who was very wealthy, lived in Chicago, and then he went down on a vacation to Kentucky for a few months, and he met a girl down there. They fell in love, 
they decided to move back up to Chicago. So they moved up into the city. And while that they were there for three years, they had some good years. And all of a sudden, she had a mental, some kind of break, breakdown. And that every single day, I mean, in, in her worst moments, the people didn't really know who she was. But at night, she would just scream. And she would scream and scream. Her eyes never looked the same. She would just be screaming. It was such a bad deal that the neighbors said, we can't take it anymore. So this man, he took his wife, he moved her out someplace, maybe even out in this area. They built a very nice house outside the suburbs, outside the city of Chicago, built a house, big iron gate, and she would still scream. She would still cry. Mental illness was overwhelming her. She would cry and scream, and the neighbors couldn't take it anymore. They called the police, and they called the doctor, and a doctor said to him, She's going to have to go to an institution. But maybe before you, we do that, why don't you take her back to Kentucky? Take her home. Maybe the sights from her childhood will do something. It'll alive in her. So he put her in a car, and they drove her back down to Kentucky. And they spent the spring in Kentucky. Took her to the old fields she'd walk in, smelled the flowers. He'd walk, he'd point out old things that she would remember, and nothing changed. And he was just beside himself, so he said, we, we got to go. Put his wife in the car, drove back up to Chicago, discouraged, got out of the car, picked his wife up, carried into the house. It's about 7 o'clock at night. And as he picked his wife up, carried her into the car, she put his head on his shoulder, and she fell asleep. She hadn't been sleeping for weeks, took her up to the room, laid her down, and she slept, and she slept, and it was seven o'clock, and he just stayed with her, and he slept through midnight, she slept all night, and the morning came, true story, she woke up, and when she woke up, she smiled, and her eyes seemed normal for the first time in months. And she smiled and saw her husband standing next to him, and she said to him, Good morning. I've been on a long, long, long journey. Where have you been? And her husband smiled and he said, I've been waiting for you. Just sitting here, waiting for you. This is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We who are rebels and spiritual adulterers and run from him, and God just says, I'm here. I've been here. I'm just waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. And in Christ, that is our hope. God is an unbelievable God of compassion. If God is calling you to obey him, say yes. Just say yes. Trust and obey. Because God is always waiting, calling you to himself. Let's pray.